0: Today we continue with a series of um, the foundation principles of the doctrine of Christ, the elementary principles of the doctrine of Christ, as taught to us in the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 6, chapter 5, chapter 6, uh, verses 1 and 2, and uh, there are the six foundational doctrines, which is repentance from dead works, faith toward God, the doctrine of baptisms, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And in this series of teachings, we're looking at the, the third of the six foundational doctrines, and that is the doctrine of baptisms. And we have already seen that it is, it, the doctrine is the, the doctrine of baptisms plural, not baptism singular. And um, although even uh, Scripture does talk about there's one baptism in the book of Hebrews, chap- Hebrews Ephesians chapter 4, Um, but we we explained the fact that there is one God but although there's one God, it's God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit there are one but three separate uh, individual uh, personalities and uh, with regards to baptism we saw in scripture that uh, there are three distinct baptisms taught uh, in the New Testament and the first baptism is the baptism into Christ and we have had a look at that particular aspect, the, the, the baptism that every believer partakes of. And so that, in effect, is saying that there is one baptism, for there is only one baptism whereby we can be saved, and that is our baptism into Christ Jesus our Lord as our Savior. But then we have seen in Scripture that there is two other baptisms that are taught to us um, as New Testament believers. And the first, uh, well, not, not in sequence, But the other one that we looked at is baptism in water. And we saw that there is scriptural evidence for uh, being baptized in water as believers. And then we have seen that there is then the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And our Lord Jesus taught on that particular baptism when uh, he was with the disciples on the earth before he ascended into heaven. After he had been raised from the dead. And so we've had a look at the fact that there are the three baptisms the main one being being baptized into Christ, and every believer partakes of that baptism. Um, And uh, we're now going to be touching on the second, well, as I say, it's not second in sequence, but just uh, from a teaching point of view, the second baptism we will look at in today's teaching and probably carry on into the next teaching, is water baptism. And so we want to understand what water baptism is, um, how it impacts on the life of the believer, why we have water baptism, um, should we have water baptism? Is it is it that important? Um, and so yeah, we're going to have a look at what the Bible teaches us on the subject, so that we have a clearer understanding about uh, this topic of water baptism, for it forms part of the elementary principles of Christ, and the, the, that part is included in the doctrine of baptisms plural. And now we come into uh, what forms part of the doctrine of baptisms, which is water baptism as, a, as such. Um, let's have a look at the, the words of our Lord Jesus on the subject as the, the start uh, to the subject before we get into it today. And that is in Mark chapter 16, verse 16. And this is our Lord speaking to the disciples before He um, uh, leaves them to be taken up into heaven. And He says, He who believes... And is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And so our Lord instructs us to be baptized as believers. Um, and we'll have a look at how that particular statement that he made uh, does sometimes get misinterpreted. Because if you have a look at what our Lord said, he said, "He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned." The Lord does not say, but he who does not believe and is not baptized will be condemned. He just says, he who does not believe will be condemned. And so I just wanted to put that in there because uh, there is, a, uh, there is a, a false teaching out there and we'll touch on it as we go through this particular teaching today. Um, baptism in water can only take place after one has been baptized into Christ. One has to be baptized into Christ first. That is the 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 qualification in order to be baptized in water um and so as i've said every single believer is baptized into christ and that happens by default god the father baptizes baptizes us into christ by his spirit uh automatically when we are born again when we when we are saved then we get to water baptism now not every believer in the church is baptized in water um So why is that? Why? Because there are many believers in the church today and and Christians who love the Lord, uh, who follow the Lord and uh, who do their best to serve Him and yet have not been baptized in water. And so these these are Christians, these are believers that if they were to die today, they would be in heaven instantaneously. um, But they have not yet been baptized in water. And so the question we need to ask ourselves is why is it, that? and there are many in the church and uh, i don't want to put a number to it but uh, the vast majority now there's a lot even in the pentecostal circles circles and the charismatic circles there are uh, christians who have not been baptized in water in the denominational churches there's many christians who have not been baptized in water now obviously certain denominations like the baptists uh that is not an a problem in their, their denomination because that's uh, quite a strong foundation that they build on but you get the, uh, the Presbyterians they do not believe in baptized, being baptized in water uh, Catholics and Anglicans, there's a whole uh, now I understand that within the denominations there are many who are not Christians, they are religious people who you know, form part of that uh, church so to speak, but within the denominations there are many believers and there are many uh, children of, of Christ. Um, and, but because they're in the denomination, they follow after the teaching given to them by that denomination. And the teaching given in that denomination is against water baptism. And so they follow that instead of following the Word of God. And so one of the main reasons why people are not baptized in water today, Christians are not baptised in water today is, a, is due to ignorance. Um, they've not ever been taught that they need to be baptised in water. It's not, it's not a doctrine that is really uh, emphasised in, in churches, even charismatic churches. Um, you know, it's a case of water baptism, water baptism is mentioned in passing every once in a while and then they will baptise people if they want to be baptised. But it's not a a doctrine as it should be because don't forget we're dealing with the elementary principles of Christ. These are the foundational doctrines in the church and these doctrines should be taught to every single believer. So every believer that comes into the body of Christ needs to understand these doctrines. One One of the aspects, one of the doctrines is the doctrine of baptisms and one of the aspects, one of the baptisms that we are to experience as believers is water baptism. So this particular doctrine, this this teaching on water baptism should be foundational for every new Christian that comes into the body of Christ. And so every Christian should be taught it. As they're born again, you need to now be baptized in water. Why you need to be baptized in water. What it, what it means to be baptized in water. How does it impact on your Christian walk? But most churches, um, you know, it just kind of, it's an option. You can be baptized in water if you, if you want to. It's not something that is foundational to their Christian uh, teaching that they put across to the members of the body of Christ. However, as I say, it, it flies in the face of what the Bible teaches us. Well, the Bible teaches us that this is the, these are foundational doctrines. These are the doctrines that every newborn believer should understand and partake of. And water baptism falls into that category and so the first reason that people christians again i'm talking about believers now are not baptized in water is because of ignorance no one has ever taught them you actually do need to be baptized in water um and the other aspect of the ignorance is that you know as it's not really emphasized to newborn believers um, and so the, the view of it is it's not that important and can therefore be ignored. It's not something that is going uh, to really make an impact on my life as a believer. Um, so why do I need to get baptized in water? You know, they, they've heard about it, but it's not something that, you know, they feel compelled that they should be baptized in water. So the main reason, or the first reason why Christians are not baptized in water is ignorance there's not there's not enough teaching on it in the church for all the newborn and as i say it is the the, every church should have their basic doctrine uh, teachings that they give and it should be based on hebrews chapter 6 verses 1 and 2 and all newborn believers should be taken through these doctrines and not indoctrinated, but just brought into the, into the Christian faith through these doctrines so that they're grounded and they have a, a complete understanding and are set off into the Christian walk in the right manner. And the very first thing, and we're going to have a look at the examples in Scripture, uh, that takes place almost immediately after being saved is water baptism. And we'll look at the uh, scriptural background along, those, uh, along that in- uh, aspect. So it's ignorance. And then there's the other slide, and that is that um, man-made doctrines have come into the body of Christ, which have supplanted the Word of God. And uh, the, the man-made doctrines that I'm referring to specifically here is sprinkling little baby children um, with water and referring that to that uh, practice as baptizing uh, one into the body of Christ. And so we'll see from scripture that that is completely against the word of God. That's not what the word of God teaches that are, uh, us at all. That is something that men have come up with and have introduced into the church uh, to, as I said, supplant the word of God, to replace what God has said. God has said, This is what you should do. And man has said, Okay, God, we, we've got a better idea. We'll do it. We're going to do. What you're telling us to do, but we'll do it our way. You know, we're not going to do it your way because your way is a bit inconvenient. Our way actually is a lot more practical, and uh, so we'll do it our way, and that'll be fine. Thank you very much. And you know, that's not now you you're just taking God out of the equation, and so God's not involved with that at all. That is a man-made invention not a right word, invention, but it's a man-made doctrine that has been brought in. And as I said, there's whole denominations that are built around that particular doctrine, kind of. Not built around, but that is one of their foundations, that if you come into this church, you're going to be a member of this church, your babies will be sprinkled with water, and that is the baptism that they will incur. Uh, that's their water baptism. But that is, as I say, not what the Bible teaches at all, and uh, our Lord Jesus had a similar problem in his day um, in that there were the Pharisees and, and the religious people of his day had also in, invented, invented is not the right word, had come up with uh, their own man-made traditions um, that seemed good and seemed right. But what happens is when man-made traditions creep into um Well, it wasn't the church in those days, it was obviously Israel. Um, What happened was the man-made traditions then began to take on more importance than God's word. And where the two clashed, man's traditions then supplanted the word of God. Let's have a look at uh, what our Lord said about that particular instance. Uh, with regards to man-made traditions replacing the word of God and what the scripture we'll look at is in Mark chapter 7 beginning at verse 8. Um, our Lord speaking, the, the Pharisees had come up and they had uh, complained that Jesus' disciples weren't washing their hands uh, before they ate. Uh, they weren't doing things, they weren't observing the traditions uh, of the fathers. So they weren't complaining about the fact these guys were not doing, observing the word of God. They were complaining to Jesus about the fact that his disciples were not observing the traditions of men. And so our Lord responds to that by saying to them, For laying aside the commandment of God. So there you go. They now have laid aside God's commandment. He said, you hold the tra- tradition of men. So they had supplanted the commandment of God with the, the tradition of men because they had viewed the tradition of men, our tradition, is far more important to us than what God says on the subject. And so we will rather do what our tradition tells us to do rather than obey what God tells us to do. And Jesus said that's exactly what where they had come uh, come out of and he said, "The washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do." So they had invented all of these things. You had to wash your cups and your pitchers in a certain manner, and you had to wipe down your couches, and you couldn't see, you couldn't eat until you've done all of these things. And none of it was the word of God. God had never said to the Jews, "This is what you should be doing." God had said other things to them. They had now tagged on, and they had come up with all these own their own traditions. And in verse 9, he said, he said to them, All too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. And so the commandment of God with regards to water baptism is to be fully immersed in water. That's uh, what we have seen. John the Baptist, as uh, we've done it in the previous teachings, that John the Baptist is it was through his ministry that water baptism is introduced to us in the the Bible for it had not been taught prior to that Um, we know that um, spiritually that the the Jews were baptized in water when they went through the Red Sea Uh, Paul teaches us that but there was a type and a shadow of the baptism that we incur when we go we're baptized into Christ and baptized in the Holy Spirit I don't want to get into the, the spiritual side of it today but the point is, is that water baptism as a, a, a practice was introduced to us through John's ministry, John the Baptist, and he he baptized in water by fully immersing the Jews in the River Jordan. Uh, he obviously baptized in other areas as well, but you know we know about the River Jordan, and we do know about other areas. But it was full immersion into water, um, and their baptism was, as we've said. In uh, preparation for the coming Messiah. They had to cleanse themselves in preparation for the coming Messiah. The baptism that we experience as believers, the one that our Lord spoke about in, in Mark 16, ours is identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we our, our baptism also is fully motion. We have to bury the old man, and we have to be raised from the dead. And so that is what water baptism uh, um, symbolizes under the new covenant. And although it symbolizes, there is su- there is spiritual connotations to it as well. But when we won't get into the spiritual connotations today. We're looking purely at um, water baptism as a, as an instruction to the church. And we're going to look at examples of water baptism in the early church to see how they did it and, why and when they did it, and uh, to a degree why they did it as well. Although we'll touch on that more in other teachings down the line. So one of the other things is that you cannot baptize yourself in water. Um, somebody has to, and we'll see that in Scripture, somebody has to baptize you. And the reason being for that is because it's death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ that we're identifying with when we are water baptized. And it, it was God the Father who raised Christ from the dead. Jesus did not raise himself from the dead. Uh, although our Lord did say, my Father has given me the commandment that I can lay down my own life and take it up again. But we all know from Scripture that it was God the Father who raised Christ from the dead, and so somebody else has to raise us from the dead, so to speak, through water baptism. And so it is it, uh, part of being baptized in water is that somebody else must baptize you. You cannot say, "Okay, Lord, I'm going to baptize myself." Now I'll go down to my into my pool in the backyard. And I'm going to baptize myself, and uh, you know, oh, that will be my water baptism. No, it can't happen like that. Somebody, another believer, and any believer can do it. It's not a minister of the gospel that has to baptize a fellow believer. Any believer can baptize another believer. But uh, they must be baptized by a believer, and they must be raised up out of the water by a believer. And so it is full immersion into water, um, baptism that is what it is all about um but what had happened in in the instances what the, the, the comment that our lord made um and he he kind of quoted one to them and I'd, i haven't read it now but the, the, the quotation that the lord spoke about was he said um you know god has commanded honor your mother and your father your father and your mother Um, But you guys have come up with this tradition that if uh, that which people are going to bless their parents with, um, if they say, no, this is now a gift to God, you don't have to worry about taking care of your parents anymore because you're now giving that that gift to God. The Lord said, wait a minute, what you've done is you've now supplanted what God has said. God has said, first, honor your, your father and your mother. But you've now taken it and said, if you're going to give it to God, then it's all right. You don't have to give it to your parents because you're going to give it to God. And so Jesus said that's that's contrary to the word of God. So our Lord is very adamant about the fact that traditions of men, traditions on, on, in, a, in, a, on in and of themselves are not a problem. If you follow a tradition in your cultural background, in your church background, whatever it might be, it, in and of itself, it is fine as long as it does not clash with the Word of God. And so the moment that it supplants the Word of God, then then you're in trouble because now your tradition has now become more important than the Word of God and you're on very dangerous ground because you, you, you've, you've basically become disobedient in that area. And there's a whole lot of ramifications that come into your life when you're going to disobey the Word of God and replace His Word with your tradition. And so there's the two. As I said, there's two reasons why Christians, and there's a lot there's a lot of Christians in the church today who have not been baptized in water. The First reason, ignorance. Nobody's ever taught them about water baptism. The second is because there's not an emphasis on placed on it in the church even the churches that do practice water baptism they do not place an emphasis on it it's not a requirement now there are churches out there that it is a requirement if you want to be a member of the church and belong to that local body you have to be baptized in water and that's a good practice Um, but even with as I say within the charismatic churches who do practice water baptism and do not teach against it they certainly don't emphasize it and it's you know if you want to be baptized in water that's great we'll make a provision for you to be baptized in water but nobody says to the newborn believers you have to now be baptized in water this is a requirement of your christian uh, walk and it's the one of the very first steps you take in your christian walk and it's a step of obedience to the lord in that we are meant to be baptized in water and so Then the second reason, as I say, is uh, you get now all of the traditions of men that come in and these religious traditions that um, would try to supplant. Well, they do. They supplant the Word of God because you go to some of these churches. And as, as I say, within these churches, there are men and women who love God, who are born again and are following the Lord Jesus. But they will not obey this commandment to be baptized in water because they have been brought up in this tradition which says that sprinkling babies with water is fine. That is good enough. You do not now need to be baptized in water. But that is completely against the Word of God because, as we'll see, you cannot be... And I've already made the comment and it's very clear in Scripture. You cannot be baptized in water until you have been born again. And no baby is born again. A baby is still alive to God, and their their spirits are alive to God, and they they are children of God. But uh, to be baptized in water, one must have been baptized into Christ. One must be born again. And the way we get baptized into Christ is we accept Him as our Lord and Savior. No baby can do that because they they don't have that understanding. Um, to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so it is completely unscriptural. There's no, there's no scriptural foundation for uh, sprinkling babies with water at all. I'm talking Word of God foundation. There's lots of tradition out there, but there's no Word of God foundation for it, for that practice. And that practice has supplanted the Word of God in a number of uh, the denominational churches charismatic churches don't even some of the the, the more not Pentecostal but the more um, word-based churches which are not traditional are not denominational even those churches you find this practice of sprinkling babies creeping in uh, into their churches um, Look, it's it's obviously uh, there there is a a spiritual aspect to it. Satan gets involved. Whatever Satan can do to hinder the work of God, that's what he'll do. And if he needs to put in the false doctrine, because all false doctrine originates from Satan. It doesn't matter where it really comes from uh, and who brought it in. But ultimately, because it's false, it came from Satan. He's the one who brings it in. He's the one who's the liar. And so he brings in all the weird things into the church to get the church to be disobedient to God. Because once he can get the church into disobedience to the word of God, they're in his territory now. And so he can uh, hold sway and he can influence. And as I say, we won't touch too much on the spiritual connotations today of water baptism. We'll do that in a later teaching. But there are definite spiritual connotations to obey the word of God in water baptism or disobeying the word of God in water baptism. And um, those are the, the issues that need to be dealt with. But when it comes to uh, water baptism, um, just as you get the, the churches that do not teach it, uh, they completely teach against water baptism. Uh, we will sprinkle our babies, thank you very much. We're not interested in what the word of God says on the subject. Um, so you get churches um, that go the opposite now. Now, these are not really um, churches that serve the Lord, but you get um, the, the teaching that comes in that unless you are baptized in water, you cannot be saved. And they, they take John sixteen sixteen out of context. And they say that our Lord said are uh, those who believe and are baptized shall be saved. And so they say, you cannot be saved, you you have to believe, but unless you've been baptized, you can't be saved either. Uh, You have to have the two together in order to be saved. And of the two teachings, the one that teaches we don't baptize, and the one that teaches you have to be baptized in order to be saved, That is the one that is the most dangerous of the two false doctrines. For both of them are false doctrines. And so false doctrine works on that wise. It goes off in the ditch on either the right hand or the left hand. So it, it teaches extremism on both sides. The truth is in the middle and false doctrine teaches extremism to the right or extremism to the left. And so we have water baptism. The the Word of God teaches water baptism. You get the false doctrine on the right that says, we don't do water baptism, we sprinkle babies. Okay, so that's extremism to the right. Then you get the the extremism to the left that says, yeah, we do water baptism because unless we do it, we're not going to go to heaven. We're not going to be saved. People that are not baptizing water um, will not go to heaven. And so they've taken the, the water baptism teaching to the extreme on the other side. Whereas that not what the Bible teaches us at all. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ. That The only requirement for us in order to be saved is to believe Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead by God the Father and confess Him as Lord. Romans chapter 10 verse 9, I'll quote it, uh, says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And so that is the requirement for salvation. And not water baptism. Nowhere does the Scripture teach us um, that unless you have been baptized in water, you cannot be saved. And now there are churches out there that teach that doctrine: that unless you are baptized in water, you cannot be saved. And so they've kind of added on a requirement for salvation. Um, And any time any any teaching that adds any requirement onto salvation other than believing in your heart that Jesus is Lord and confessing him as your Lord um, is false doctrine that's as as simple as that it is false doctrine and it is not something uh, to be followed uh, to be entertained even Um, think about the and it's just uh, one quick example the Lord he's on the cross and he's got the two criminals on either side of him. And the one criminal blasphemes him. And then the other criminal says, Lord, remember me in your when you come into your kingdom. And our Lord says to him, because he's acknowledged Jesus as his Lord right there while he's on the cross, as he's dying. Our Lord says to him, this day you will be with me in paradise. And so our Lord, and people say, but how is that possible? Because the Lord went down to hell. So how can he say, you'll be with me in paradise? Well, God, remember, is one God. God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, they're all one. And so when that criminal died, he went to Abraham's bosom and he was with uh, God in paradise. And so that's why the Lord could say that. But the point is, he, he, the Lord didn't say, well, it's too late because you should have been, if, you, if I could get you baptized in water, we could have done something about the situation. But you're on the cross, we can't get you baptized in water, so you're lost. No, not at all. The Lord said, this day you will be with me in paradise. And so the Lord didn't make an exception for him. That is because salvation is not based on water baptism. Water baptism comes subsequent to salvation. We're first saved, we're first born again, and then we are baptized in water afterward. It is a, a, a step that comes in afterwards. And so any teaching that would try add on anything to salvation uh to believing in christ and being saved by faith is a false teaching and back in uh, paul's days and in, in, in the early church they had the same problem with other people coming into the church and trying to add things on in order to for, to to add things on to salvation and saying all right you believed in jesus that's good but you still got to do this in order to be saved and that's what the people who teach water baptism for salvation, they say, you believe in Jesus, that's right, but in order to be saved, you still have to be baptized in water. Until you are baptized in water, you're not saved because you haven't yet completed the steps. And that is a false doctrine. That is against the Word of God. That's not what the Bible teaches us at all. And so in in, in, in the early church days, they had this a similar problem. Let's have a look at it. In Acts chapter 15, Um, beginning at verse 1. I'm just going to read the two verses of Scripture, verse 1 and then verse 24. Um, Verse 1 says, And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren. Okay, now this is the addition. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So they're saying, all right, you believed in Jesus, and we believe in Jesus as well, and that's great. But you still have to be circumcised according to the custom of Moses in order to be saved. So you're not yet saved. You've you've taken the first step, but the next step you have to take is you must be circumcised according to the custom of Moses. And then you will be saved. So they've added the stuff on. And so a huge debate breaks out. Um, and they have to go to Jerusalem and Paul and and Barnabas and Paul has to deal with the issue amongst all the apostles and they debate it because at at the time that this kicks in um, the church hadn't thought about this issue yet because mainly up until now the church has been preaching to Jews and now the Gentiles are coming into the kingdom as well. And that was a big issue to start off you know, because the Jews didn't really understand that God had brought salvation to the Gentiles as well. And God had to sort that problem out, which he did. And so now Gentiles are starting to be added to the church. Um, but the Jews haven't hadn't thought this through. I'm talking about the Jewish believers now. Hadn't thought this thing through because they still are zealous for the law. They, they believe in Christ. Um, and they've been water baptized and they do but they still aren't following the law of Moses and that is good and right Paul teaches us that in 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 the, in the way that we're saved that's the way we should remain and so in other words if you come into the kingdom of God as a Jew stay as a Jew and carry on practicing uh, be a good Jew if you come into the kingdom of God as a Gentile stay as a Gentile so he says, don't cross pollinate don't Jew now become like a Gentile and Gentile try to become like a Jew it doesn't work that way You you remain in the calling with which you are called. And that's how we stay in our walk with the Lord. Um, And so the Jews have not thought through how should the Gentiles actually fit into this Christian walk. And so now what happens is the, the Satan takes advantage of that and he puts out his false teachers out into the church. And they start going around to the Gentile churches and they start... Um, preaching that the Gentiles need to start observing the law of Moses and be circumcised so in effect what they're trying to do is they're trying to get the Gentile believers to convert to to Judaism Um, and it kind of catches the church of God because nobody had really thought this through except Paul Paul is appointed as the apostle to the Gentiles. So he has full understanding in the fact that we're saved by, by grace through faith in Christ Jesus and nothing else. There's no other step that gets added to that. And so when uh, in Acts chapter 15, these guys, these false teachers come down um, from Jerusalem to try and influence the Gentile church to convert to Judaism. Paul takes them on and says, no, that's not on. We don't go down that road. The Gentiles are not called to do that. Um, and so it, it creates confusion. And so they decide, the church decides, all right, let's all get together in Jerusalem and get all the apostles together and let's thrash out this issue because nobody really prayed it through or thought it through. Paul makes his uh, point. Um, the, the, the Pharisees, who were believers, they stand up, if you go look and read the, the account in the Scripture, they stand up and they say, we these people should be should now have to follow the law of Moses in order to be saved and so they're, they're, they're believers these, these Pharisees that's the sect of the Pharisees who were believers um, are saying you know they need to follow the law of Moses just like we do and so there's now these two contra um, thoughts of doctrine that are clashing Paul's and the Pharisees uh, and both of them are Christians. I'll, I'll bring this, and so the rest of them now are debating it and, and thinking about, it. and so eventually it comes out, and Peter and James stand up and they make the comments, and the Holy Spirit has His way, and so this is the result of it. In verse twenty-four, uh, they say, "Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words, unsettling yourselves, talking to the Gentile believers, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave." No such commandment. And so they refuted that. And so the the decision was taken. Gentile believers do not follow the law. Gentile believers do not circumcise uh, themselves or their children in order that they may be saved. Gentile believers serve as they're called. They're called as Gentile believers. And we follow the Lord in that that manner. Jewish believers follow the Lord in their manner. So that was the, the issue that they had to deal with in their day issue one of the issues that we deal with in our day is that we have then the churches and the, and the false teachers that come out and they say all right you believe in jesus that's all good and well but unless you are baptized in water you're not going to be saved and so they add on a further requirement for salvation and the moment that anybody tries to add on any further requirement for salvation you know it's false it's very simple. not a complicated thing to deal with Because we're saved by grace through faith in Christ, nothing else. And the early church quickly dealt with the problem of the false teaching, and so should we. We should not entertain any uh, doctrine that we try to add on any further step in order to be saved. Salvation is believing in your heart that God has raised Christ Jesus from the dead, confessing Him with your mouth as Lord, and you are saved. That's the requirement for salvation. So, having said all of that, we're now going to look at uh, water baptism in a little bit more detail from Scripture, and we're going to look at three accounts of water baptism. And the reason we're going to do that is because we just need to re reinforce, but we emphasize the fact that water baptism is scriptural, it is a requirement, it is a practice that the early church practiced, and that the church today should be practicing as well, because it is what our Lord Jesus has instructed us to do. Um, And the Bible says, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. So that's why we're going to look at three accounts of scripture um, that show us about water baptism. Just to emphasize that out of the mouth of three witnesses in this instance, uh, the word that we want to establish is that water baptism is scriptural and it is a requirement for every single newborn believer coming into the kingdom of God. And so the first account we'll have a look at is in Acts chapter Eight, beginning at verse 36. And I'll read it and I'll, I'll comment on it. And then we'll, we'll see what we get out of this particular account. The scripture says, Now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. So let's unpack this particular account in Scripture. It's very interesting to see. Okay, a little bit of background. Um, Philip is in Gaza the angel Philip was in uh, city of Samaria preaching the gospel there had a huge revival uh, a multitudes coming to Christ um, while he's there an angel of the Lord appears to him and says I want you to go down to Gaza it doesn't tell him why just says go to Gaza. Philip's um, you know very obedient uh, a disciple of the Lord so he goes to Gaza and he's now hanging around in Gaza not too sure what to do God had instructed him to go there while he's there um, he sees a chariot coming past, um, obviously at a slow pace, didn't come flying past him. Um, and he's, when he sees the chariot, the Holy Spirit now speaks to him. He says, I want you to go attach yourself to that chariot. So again, Philip is very obedient. He goes and attaches himself to the chariot. When he, I say attach himself, he starts walking next to the chariot and because that's the pace that this chariot is going at. It's a walking pace. And he hears the guy inside reading The prophet Isaiah and so now he realizes okay so this is why the Holy Spirit wants me here Um, and we know this from the accounting scripture this is a very influential man for he is the minister of finance for Candace of Ethiopia the queen of Ethiopia and uh, he'd been in Jerusalem he he was a believer in Judaism he wasn't a proselyte as far as I know um, but he had come up to Jerusalem to worship, and he was on his way back down to Ethiopia. He might have been a prophet's like The scripture doesn't say. Um, but now he's reading Isaiah, and God obviously had earmarked him to, be, uh, to come into the kingdom of God. And so had sent his, his, his evangelist to harvest him. And so Philip says, do you, guys, do you not understand what you're reading? And he says to Philip, How can I? Unless somebody shows me what I'm, what I'm reading. And so Philip now begins to preach the gospel to him. He, he invites him into the chariot. He, Philip gets up there, and Philip now teaches him uh, about Jesus Christ through the scriptures. And Philip evangelizes him. And this is the account we pick it up. Now it's interesting. Philip has obviously. Mentioned and spoken about the fact that if you're going to be saved, you should be then be baptized in water. Because one of the things he... The, what the, the, the eunuch says to him as they come to water, he says, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And so he part of the, the gospel message that Philip preaches is that you must be baptized. Not that you must be baptized to be saved. Because look what Paul, what Peter says. I, Philip, I'll get it right. Look what Philip says. He says, if you believe with all your heart, you may. So it's a requirement that you be saved before you can be baptized in water. So water baptism is not linked to salvation. uh, In that you have to do the two together in order to be saved. But water baptism is linked from the point of view that you cannot be baptized in water unless you are saved. And so the first step that has to be taken is that you have to believe with all your heart. Once you believe with all your heart, then and only then can you be baptized in water. And so this uh, eunuch says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he believes in his heart and he confesses with his mouth. Then Philip takes him down into water and baptizes him in water. And so the, the, the couple of points we can pick up from this account is that water baptism is very necessary for the Christian because Philip actually in his gospel message preaches water baptism because that's what the eunuch wants to do. He wants to be baptized in water. And Philip says, well, no, back up here. And you can't be baptized in water until you believe. And so he said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And Philip says, okay, now we'll take you down and we'll baptize you. So he gets saved, he gets baptized into Christ first. Remember, we've dealt with that in the previous teachings. At our first baptism, we get baptized into Christ. Then he gets baptized into water. Um, and it also, it's a case of he was baptized in water immediately after he was saved. It, the, the, the early church linked water baptism as soon as possible to salvation. So it didn't happen same time. Translated means you had to be baptized to be saved. That wasn't the case. You first were saved, and then you were baptized in water as soon as possible afterwards. In this account, they, as, as the guy believed, so Philip took him down into water, and he baptized him in water. Um, and so that's the, kind of the, the biblical principle that we can see out of that account. Let's have a look at another account, which is in Acts chapter 9. Um, verse 17 we'll start off with just to re-emphasize about the fact that water baptism, because uh, it's not one of the accounts we're going to look at today but I wanted to just bring it in quickly, uh, is was practiced by the church as soon as possible after salvation think about when Paul and Silas uh, were in Philippi and they had that whole account where, where God uh, shook the jail and you know, set them free kind of uh, all the chains fell off, uh, and, the, and the, 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 the guard, the, the jailer, um, believed on Christ. And he believed on Christ because it was at midnight that that incident takes place. So, in the early hours of the morning, he takes him to Paul and Silas to his home, and he washes them, and he cleans their wounds. And Paul and Silas preach the gospel to him, and him and his household believe. They're born again, they're baptized into Christ. The Bible talks about the fact that they were baptized there and there in water at the same time. So it's the early hours of the morning. It's not a case of they were okay, Paul and, and Silas okay, you you saved. Now we'll do water baptism later on this afternoon. You know when we after we've had a bit of a rest. No, they get baptized in water straight away, early hours of the morning. They've just been saved, and they get baptized in water. And so here, uh, this, this, this Ethiopian eunuch, he just gets saved and he gets baptized in water straight away. It's the pattern that is shown to us in Scripture. Anyway, so Acts chapter 9, verse 17, this is the next account we really want to look at. Um, scripture says, And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. And so here, we, here, this is Paul's account. Oh, This is what Paul happened to Paul. On the way to Damascus, he has the encounter with the Lord Jesus. And the Lord actually appears to him, and the Lord speaks to him in a vision. And Paul is instantly born again. Uh, he calls him Lord. And so... Paul is baptized into Christ at that instant when he encounters the Lord on the way to, to Damascus. Um, because of the glory of the light, because that, that light was brighter than noon, the noonday sun, Paul goes blind. Um, it's, scales come ac- across his eyes because we just saw that he, when Ananias lays hands on him, something like scales fall off of his eyes and so he can see again. Um, but he's blinded and so they have to lead him by the hand into the city of Damascus. While he's in the city of Damascus, the Bible talks about the fact that he spends three days and three nights praying and fasting. He doesn't drink anything even, Paul, in that time. He's busy praying and fasting. He's had a huge encounter with God. And so, and it's a a dramatic thing because don't forget, he is the one who'd been trying to destroy the church. And so now he's realized what an Huge mistake he had been making, and now he's repented obviously, and now he is seeking God. While he's praying and fasting, the Lord gives him a vision and shows him Ananias coming in and laying hands on him, uh, so that he can receive his sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus appears to Ananias, and Jesus then tells Ananias, "I want you to go. There's Saul; he's in this house, and I want you to go and and um, lay hands on him so that he can receive his sight and be baptized in the Holy Spirit." And Ananias says, "Lord, you sure you got this right? Because I mean, this guy—we've heard about him. He's coming out to—he's you know, he's, he's killing, and he's uh, your saints. He's—he's uh, he's not doing us very really any, any good." And the Lord said, "No, he's my chosen vessel. Go your way and and uh, do what I've told you to do." So Ananias obeys. He goes, and he comes to Paul, and he lays hands on Paul um, by instruction of the, of the of the Lord Jesus. And Ananias is just a disciple. Ananias is not a minister of the gospel. And so when ananias lays hands on paul two things happen one is that paul receives his sight but he's also baptized in the holy spirit and we're not going to be touching on the baptism of the holy spirit today um but it's good for us to get the sequence of events here because now this sequence of events is like is is different because paul gets saved three days before when he meets the lord on the road to damascus he gets baptized into christ three days later Ananias comes, lays hands on him, he gets his healing. Uh, It wasn't sickness, it was scales that had to come off his eyes. And he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's baptized with the Holy Spirit. After that, Paul arises, the Bible says at the end, and he arose and was baptized. That is speaking of his water baptism. In another account, uh, Ananias says, now Paul arise and and, uh, be baptized in water and wash away your sins. And so, In Paul's case, his sequence of events follows in this wise. He gets baptized into Christ first, um, because he gets born again on the road to Damascus. Three days later, he gets baptized in the Holy Spirit, and then after that, almost immediately after that, he gets baptized in water. So that was Paul's sequence of events. Baptized into Christ, baptized with the Holy Spirit, and then baptized in water. But... The reason that Paul was baptized in water only three days after salvation was because there was nobody who could baptize him in water before that time. Because, you know, Paul knew no one who was saved. Uh, He was coming to kill the people that were saved. And so he was still hanging out with the Jews who were against the church. Um, And God showed him the, the, the vision. Uh, of Ananias come in, and I think that God showed him Paul that vision, so Paul could say to his host, "Listen, there's going to be a chap that's going to come knocking at the door. His name's going to be Ananias. You need to let him in because I need to speak to him, and he's got he's got stuff for me from God. Um, otherwise, that that Jewish guy that Paul was staying with might not want Ananias to come into his home, whatever the reason. So Ananias comes, lays hands on Paul, and P- Paul receives his sight. Paul's full of the Holy Spirit." And then Ananias baptizes Paul in water. Um, and so, again, I just wanted to make that comment about the fact that another person, another believer, has to baptize another believer in water. Paul couldn't baptize himself. Um, but that was the sequence of events in Paul's case. And as I say, his water baptism took place almost immediately after his baptism in the holy spirit and the only reason there was the three-day time delay from salvation to being baptized in water was because of practicality there was no one around to baptize paul in water but the moment that there was somebody there he was baptized in water straight away and so the the new testament pattern stays the same in that water baptism is subsequent to salvation and water baptism is done as soon as possible after salvation. This is the New Testament pattern. And this is the pattern that the church today should be following. For and we, we do a, a disservice to newborn believers by not getting them baptized in water as soon as possible after salvation. And as I say, we'll go into the other the spiritual aspect of the teaching in another teaching. We're just looking at laying the groundwork about the fact that the church in Scripture, and they are our example, the book of Acts is given to the church um, to show us how to do church, how God in, expects the church to operate. And so we go there and we look at, okay, this is the pattern that the Lord has put in place. We follow that pattern. We don't say, all right, that's actually, um, you know, that's a bit messy because, I mean, to, to put somebody in, fully immerse them in water and ladies, their, their hair gets all messed up. Now they've got to go redo their, their makeup runs and all. No, we, no, we don't do that because. Uh, and then the pastor's now got to get wet because he's got to go into a pool for argument's sake, and he's got it out. Uh, no, because I mean, especially when it gets cold. So let's not do that. I will tell you what we'll do. Uh, let's not make it inconvenient for anybody. What we'll do is, as babies are born, we'll just sprinkle a little bit of water on them, and that'll that'll cover it. Okay, everybody happy with that? raise your hands yes that's a good idea let's go down that road Bible says oh don't worry what the Bible says we'll go do our thing okay and so what well, I am trying. I hope you didn't get the point but the point is very really clear we follow what the scripture teaches us what God teaches us we, we, we used to be sons of disobedience before we came into the kingdom of God we were called sons of disobedience every unbeliever out there are called sons of disobedience we come into the kingdom of God we are now sons of obedience and we obey whatever the, uh, the Lord tells us to do. We obey Him. He is our Lord, and so when He says do this, we say yes, Lord. We don't say no, Lord. You cannot say no. Somebody has said this in very good comment. You cannot say no and Lord in the same sentence, okay? Because then He's not your Lord anymore in that aspect. Moving on to the third encounter, uh, the third yard, uh, the third example we want to look at um, is in Acts chapter ten. Uh, verse 44. We'll pick it up from there. And the scripture says, while Peter was still speaking these words... Oh, okay, a little bit of background here. Here's Peter's preaching to the Gentiles for the very first time. Uh, because up until this time, they had really missed God completely. I mean, the Lord couldn't have made it more plain. He said, you guys have to go preach the gospel in Judea, Samaria, and uttermost parts of the earth. And he said, you to preach the gospel to every creature. Now, they were just completely closed off from what he, the Lord had said when, he, they, when they heard the word every creature to them, that meant every Jew. Um, and so they were meant to preach the gospel to the Jews in Jerusalem, the Jews in Judea and Samaria, and then go find the Jews that are outside in the rest of the world and go preach to them. It doesn't enter their consciousness that actually the Lord is saying every creature means every creature, all the Gentiles included. And so eventually the Lord has to move along uh, um, uh, upon Peter in a supernatural way. He gives him the vision, He falls into a trance. He sees the sheep coming down um, and three times reinforcing Paul, what God has cleansed you not to call common. And so when the guys then do pitch, because now they've Cornelius is not a proselyte. He's a, he's a Gentile a Jewish uh, he's not a, a Jewish believer at all. He believes in God and he, he's a good guy and he, he gives alms and he prays, um, but he hasn't converted to Judaism. He's not a proselyte, he's a Gentile. And uh, the angel comes in and appears to him and says, go get hold of Peter. He'll come down and he'll tell you what you've got to do in order to be saved. And so uh, he sends three Jewish uh, servants, two of them are, are soldiers and one is his servant, or might be the other way around, um, to go get Peter. Peter is in Joppa at the time, and he's busy praying and fasting. God shows him the vision. doesn't understand the vision. doesn't make any sense to him. He's busy pondering, thinking about what is, what is the Lord trying to tell me with this vision? Um, and then the, the, the three guys arrive at the door. When they arrive at the door, the Holy Spirit speaks to Peter and says, I've sent you three guys. They've come here to get you. Go with them. Don't doubt. I've sent them. So Peter still doesn't understand. He goes down, he says, "Uh, what do you want? He said, we're looking for Peter. Uh, He says, yeah, I'm Peter. And then they explain, well, our master was praying uh, a a day before yesterday. And an angel of the Lord came in and said, we've got to come get you to come and speak. And so now the penny starts to drop with Peter. He starts to realize, "Okay, maybe this is what God's wanting me to do, to go and preach to these guys. So he goes with them and then he gets there and now he finds out they're all Gentiles. Look, he knows they're all Gentiles because these three Jewish men uh, have said to him, Look, these guys are Gentiles going to. So Pilate says, All right, I'm going to take some people with me, take six colleagues with him um, because he needs backup because now he's going to be breaking Jewish law and tradition and that Jews don't associate with Gentiles. So he needs as much backup as he can because he doesn't want to be hauled over the coals with the, the Jewish believers because now he's gone into Gentiles. So he goes in and he starts off, he says, you guys know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to um, fellowship with Gentiles. And so Cornelius was a Gentile, he was not a proselyte. If he had been a proselyte, it would have been no problem for uh, Peter to go in and speak with him and talk to him, bit he was a Gentile. And so Peter is now preaching to the Gentiles for the very first time. God it finally dawns on Peter, okay, the gospel is actually meant to be preached to these guys as well. So while Peter is still speaking these words, the scripture says in verse 44, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. However many they were in that particular house at that time, because Cornelius had got all his friends and family together to listen to what Peter is going to say. The Holy Spirit falls on them. While they were listening to the word, and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who receive the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord, and they asked him to stay a few days." And so there's so much that we can pick up on this particular passage of Scripture. Um, but the point, uh, so let's pick up on what we can. Peter preaches the gospel to them. While they hear in the word of God, they believe. And what, the instant they believe, they're born again. They're baptized into Christ. The moment that they're baptized into Christ, God baptizes them in the Holy Spirit. So you say, well, how do you get that sequence of Because Peter relating what transpired later in Acts chapter 15, in verse 7 and 8, um, gives us in, that insight. Let's have a look at it quickly. Because um, now P- Peter comes back to Jerusalem and he gets hammered by the rest of the Jewish believers. What have you done? You've, Peter, you've gone and you've spoken to Gentiles. You know, that's completely unkosher. You shouldn't have done it. So now Peter's now defending himself. And the scripture says, And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren... Okay, this is, not, this is further down the line. This is another debate that took place. But uh, Peter's just telling, re-emphasizing what actually happened on the day when he was preaching. He says, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Verse 8, and this is the part I want you to get. So God who knows the heart acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. So God gave the Holy Spirit to the, the Gentile uh, believers because God acknowledged them. God acknowledged them because they were his, they were saved. And so that was the sequence of events. Peter preaches the gospel to them while Peter's preaching, they believe Because they believe, God acknowledges them. Because God acknowledges them, He then gives them the gift of the Holy Spirit. And God had to do that in that instance. Let me tell you why. Very simple. Because the Jews that came with Peter would never have believed, even if the guys had said, we believe in Jesus as the Son of God, we believe that Jesus is Lord. The Jewish believers would not have believed that they were saved. Because in their minds, Gentiles couldn't be saved. Salvation was only for Jews. And so God had to supernaturally intervene right there in order to convince the Jews that were with Peter, because even Peter with the vision um, is still trying to get his mind around the fact that God maybe actually wants to bring the Gentiles into the church. But the other Jews that were with Peter, and there were six of them, They certainly weren't going to buy this idea of Gentiles being part of the church. And so what God does is he supernaturally fills the the, the Gentile believers in front of their eyes with the Holy Spirit. And they begin to speak out in other tongues exactly in the same manner as what these Jewish guys had experienced on the day of Pentecost. And they're astonished. I mean, the, the Bible says that they're astonished when they see what happens. And so God has to do this supernaturally in order to convince these, these Jews, uh, this is of me, guys, I'm bringing Gentiles into the church. you better get on, on board with the program. And so they do, because then Peter says to them, he said, who can forbid these guys water? You guys are, you, you're, he's talking to the Jews now that are with him. We can't forbid them water. God's accepted them. They're in the kingdom, whether we like it or not. They're, they're, the Gentiles are part of the kingdom. And so he commands them to be baptized in water. And so here's a sequence of events on this account. Uh, they get saved. They get baptized into Christ first. And it, again, it is always us we baptized into Christ first. Because um, that is the condition that has to be met in order to experience the other two baptisms, which is baptism of the Holy Spirit, and baptized in water then in this sequence of events they then get baptized in the Holy Spirit first like Paul Paul would baptize in the Holy Spirit first um, the eunuch we never find out whether he was baptized in the Holy Spirit because he gets on his road and goes back down to Ethiopia and Philip goes get uh, gets taken by the Holy Spirit um, up. he gets transported by by the Spirit of God up into another part of the world um, and we know that Philip doesn't lay hands on people to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Well, he might have, be that as a man. So in this instance here, baptized into Christ, baptized with the Holy Spirit, and then baptized in water. But again, the New Testament pattern is it's almost immediately, after, after salvation, baptized in water. There's no question about the, from the early church, you know, is this a good idea? Should we baptize the guys in water, yes or no? It's just that's what we do. These are these people are saved. They're filled with the Spirit. We now we have to baptize them in water. Can anyone forbid them to be baptized in water? And no, no, none of the Jews could raise their hand and say no, we can't, because we've just seen what God's done. And so Peter says he commands them to be baptized in water. And so every one of them is baptized in water straight away. And so that is the New Testament pattern. I think I've kind of. It, from these three accounts we can see that it's very clear that um, water baptism is full immersion in water it is something that is done after it is not, uh, not linked in that it's part of you have to do it in order to be saved we're not saved through water baptism not at all we're saved through faith in Christ uh, and that is uh, the condition for salvation but in order to be baptized in water you have to be saved first and so salvation takes place first. Then we have two other baptisms after that. And, you know, it could be go either way. It could be water baptism first or Holy Spirit baptism first. It doesn't matter. Um, but both are done as soon as possible after salvation. And water baptism is done as soon as possible after salvation. And that is the New Testament pattern taught to us in Scripture. And for any believer to then still come back and say, well, actually, I don't think it's that important. I don't think, I, 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 I see what the Scripture says, but I'm going to ignore it. Well, just remember, you used to be called the son of disobedience, and you don't want to have that tag on you as a believer. Uh, once you know the Scriptures, you should obey, and you should do what the Lord Jesus Christ has said, uh, in that we should be baptized in water. And, I, and another Lord also said, those who believe, um, you should baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. then there's also that debate. We'll have a look at that in the next teaching about how do we get baptized. Because there's also uh, some weird teaching along those lines as well. But it's the instruction given to us by the, the Lord Jesus, the head of the church, and as followers of Christ, that is something that we should be doing. And I'm going to end the teaching on that particular point today. Amen.